0: You're listening to How to SaaS, the number one podcast to grow your cloud software company with marketing, sales, and customer success in just 10 minutes a day. Each episode will feature a tip, hack, or secret to take your SaaS company to the next level. And now, here's your host and growth strategist, Shiv Narayanan.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. I'm super excited for today's guest. His name is Will Dinkle. He is the CEO and founder of Nova.ai. It is a platform to help sales teams automatically and intelligently personalize their outreach uh, to prospects. Uh, it does a lot more than that. But what's uh, super interesting about Will is that uh, Nova uh, Nova.ai is actually a super young company um, and and he's gone through a really interesting journey. Uh, he's He's a graduate of Harvard Business School. He uh, took his company through Y Combinator, uh, and he's had a really interesting journey in terms of finding product market fit. So I wanted to bring him on to, to share that part of the story, because I think you don't hear about that that part of a SaaS company's journey often, which is the struggle involved with uh, trying to take your product to market, understanding the minimal feature set, uh, collecting feedback from customers, and then all the other struggles involved in terms of, you know, what happens with the team, going for funding, uh, running out of money, and uh, all the other stresses involved uh, as an entrepreneur when you're trying to go on that journey. So, uh, that's the story I wanted to tell, and uh, Will's a great example uh, to be able to use uh, for other SaaS uh, founders. or aspiring SaaS founders to look at and say, wow, uh, the way that they did it is the right way and we can can emulate that too uh, when we're creating our own SaaS product. Mm. What's uh, worth noting about uh, Will's journey, uh, we talk a lot about it here at Wild Apricot, is um, we're built, one of our core pillars of our strategy is that we dialogue with our customers. Um, And in my experience, what I find is that companies don't talk to their users as much as they should especially especially in that early stage when you're looking for product market fit you uh, those founders end up you know they have a good idea and they just decided to start developing Uh, and that's usually not the right approach Um, I'm a big fan of uh, this you know customer-based development Uh, Steve Blank talks about it in his book uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany so um, I think companies that do that end up creating far better products, better experiences. Those products have higher NPS scores. The attrition is lower on those products. It's a, there's a lot of benefit that comes from, uh, from engaging with your market and your prospects to understand deeply what they need so that you can create the right kind of a solution. Um, and that's what Will has done, and he'll go into that during the interview. He'll talk about how much time he has spent talking to customers while on this journey. Um, and also what some of his uh, early stage investors have expected from him when they've given him this money and he's trying to find this product market fit, because I think that's a critical part of this journey. Is you raise this money and you think you need to get sales right away, and so most people just create a product and, and they just try to go to market as, as fast as possible, whereas taking that slow, mat- approach and uh developing product market fit is really what investors expect because once you have that product market fit uh from your seed stage you can then go get more funding to then go to market and, and get more customers so uh look out for all of that in the episode uh with will he, he shares a lot of interesting uh experiences and 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 feedback uh, for you to think about when you're thinking about what to do with your SaaS company enjoy the episode guys all right Will. welcome to the show how's it going Hey, doing well, how's your day? Good, good, thanks for being on. Uh, Super excited to have you here. So, why don't we start off by telling your story, what Nova is, and how you got to where you guys are right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely, well, happy to be on as well. Um, So, thanks for having me. Uh, So, Nova AI is a personalized prospecting platform for SDRs and account executives, um, mostly used by salespeople, of course. Uh, A little bit of the brief history. so my background is I'm an engineer. Uh, started out writing enterprise software. Uh, it took kind of an interesting journey um, from engineering to marketing to sales management. Uh, got my MBA at uh, Harvard along the way, and uh, been been running Nova for about a year and a half now.
1: That's great. And so, what? How did the idea for Nova come about? And you know, how did you get started on it?
0: Yeah. Um, so, actually, this this really started when I was a sales manager, and we did a lot of experimentation in what worked in our sales processes, and what we found is that the human touch makes a big difference. When people see that you are, uh, you know, actually, when they're talking to a person and they know it, um, and you can actually offer some personal details or give something that's organic and feels human, it makes a big difference on... The quality of the communication, the brand reputation, there they're taking next steps with you. The problem is that kind of personalization is incredibly hard to scale, measure, track, and institutionalize in the sales process. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we thought, hey, you know, maybe with some data science, some machine learning, some of these new technologies, um, some of the data that's out there, we could do something a little better and, and help sales teams scale and institutionalize this process.
1: Right. And and for the audience uh, that might be unfamiliar with your product, exactly what is different about Nova AI compared to, let's say, other outbound prospecting tools out there?
0: Yeah, so Nova is a sales platform that's built around the notion of um, personalization. And so what the product can do is it can actually help automatically write and generate uh, personalized emails for sales reps. So it's pretty cool. You you put in some information about your product, about your company, about your business, um, Nova will take your contacts and then for each of them, it'll generate uh, a personalized email um, that feels organic and feels natural and feels real. And then the, the user then reviews the email rather than originating it. Right.
1: And so that, that presents an interesting challenge, right? Because you're now bringing almost a new technology to to a market that hasn't seen stuff like this in the past. You know, a lot of sales tools out there are either cookie cutter outbound emailing or yeah. there's o- other sales organizations that send emails one by one even because they're not using yep. any prospecting tools, right? So it presents an interesting challenge when you have to edu- go out there and educate the market that this kind of a tool exists. So uh, what was the what's the journey been like for, for finding product market fit?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting, right? I think um, these really hard... It, so I would say that when we started out, uh, you know, we're building a product that we knew people wanted that we didn't know if we could build, um, and uh, and in it, when faced with such uncertainty, you just need to go out and you need to iterate uh, and just work closely with customers and throw things at the wall. Um, so uh, so that's a lot of what it was is just kind of hacking together different things. Um, you know, trying to figure out what are the things out there that we're going to be complements to, like, where are we going to fit in the stack? What are the features? What are the, you know, can this personalization technology work? Like it, it was pretty much all on the table from the start when we were when we were building the company. Um, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of just hustling in the early days and just kind of hacking away with my co-founder and I trying different things.
1: And so, when, when talking about uh, iterations, let's let's go back to version one. Um, yeah. How did you decide on what was the minimal feature set that you guys had to go with? What was that, what was that process like, and what did you guys end up choosing?
0: Yeah. So the first uh, the first version of the product was really simple. Um, it was basically just like a campaign tool where you'd put in um, like a template and you'd put in a, a tag that was just personalization. Uh, and it would just, you just feed in like a spreadsheet of like a hundred people and um, you just go to work and, (laughs) and we just like populate that template and send them out. And there wasn't really much tracking. There wasn't really anything like, you you know, it just, it, it literally all it did was like, just, you know, fire, you know, X number of personalized emails out of a cannon. There was no review process. Um, you know, there's no ancillary data that we provided to the user on, you know, different aspects of it. So it started out really simple. Um, and and then obviously, we've just grown the complexity steadily over time.
1: Right. And so, so you go out there with this basic tool, um, and then you mentioned also working a lot with customers. So I'm assuming you had an initial group of beta customers or uh, that you were able to pilot this out with, right? And and then how, how did you collect feedback and how did you use that feedback to improve the product? Yeah,
0: so um, even from before we started building the product, we put up a website. Uh, it spoke of this product that at the time didn't exist, but it we pretended as if it did. Um, you know, true Eric Reese yep. playbook. Uh, and so we did, I mean, outbound emails <laughs> and drove people to this website and tried to get them to take calls. And, uh, I remember, you know, out of our first 20 emails, we emailed, uh, you know, the guy from, uh, the VP of sales at new relic and, uh. <laughs> and he was he just said like hey i want to buy this now you, you know can i buy it and <laughs> so we're you know we said look we're we're just going into beta <laughs> all right um you nowhere close to having anything at the time uh, but uh you know and, and it was just like that you know like just iteration like feed uh, feedback and learning cycles and you know you listen you build um starting out with like just kind of trying to get to our mock-ups and then once we had our mock-ups kind of figuring out you know what are the minimum viable like integrations and touch points that we needed um so uh right so you you have have the website
1: up before the product is even out and then so how many people did you talk to before you started working on the product
0: yeah um we probably talked to about oh i mean god it's like my life for the first like three, four, five months of the company was just having phone calls every single day with with different prospective customers and people, and um, you know getting feedback. But then from the ones who were very excited, uh, you know, trying to get them engaged enough that you know two, three, four months down the line, we actually had a product we could get them to try it. So. I remember I'd talk on the phone so much with all these different prospective customers and my throat would be sore at the end of the day <laughs> yeah uh, and so it was just it was like my full time job and then the other time I'd just program and do design um, and work with my co-founder on the product right yeah it's it's
1: kind of this uh, approach of customer development. I think a lot of startups get that wrong as they just get they just start working on some product that they think the market needs without talking to the market. And then when you finally get out there and present it to the customer, the customer says, this is not what we need, right? And so then you're going to have to go back and redo a lot of the things that you put time into because you didn't have enough conversations.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the more you can front load your customer development, uh, the better off you're going to be now it doesn't feel like you're doing anything productive, which I think is what makes it hard. And especially I think for, if you know, for us it was easy because we didn't, you know, we were outsiders. Like we never started a startup. We were, you know, we didn't start with like $2 million in seed capital. So it was like very clear, like we need to get a customer <laughs> if, your, if your goal is like, let's just try to hustle our way to like a couple customers, like, you know, it's a very obvious path. Now, if you have, you know, two, three million and the times the clock's ticking, you know, you might try to do all these things in parallel. And, uh, I think, you know, for us, I don't know if we could have done it that way, but the fact that we kind of had this slow kind of methodical learning process on the front end, I I definitely think it helped us, um, with, with getting to where we are now, which is, you know, a product that's really starting to take root and really getting its legs, but a roadmap and a vision that goes out, you know, a long way, which comes from that deep customer empathy.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you you start off with this front end, slow, methodical approach, and, and now you guys have made a lot of progress. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, sub one million MRR. You've raised, you've raised funding, which we can't disclose yet for the audience because the the round hasn't been announced yet. But you've made yeah. a lot of progress, right? So, what what was that journey like? Once you have a product that you think fits this market, what was what was it like finding initial traction, and how did you guys do it?
0: Yeah. So we, so it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we kind of uh, went on that first product, that campaign based product, for a while and really built that out. And we really crushed in the SMB market with kind of a quasi-inbound model um, with that product for a while. We went through YC, you know, we, you know, got to a 100 some odd customers, um, you know, with that model. And uh, and then, you know, we, we did this crazy thing, which is we said, hey, you know, what kind of company do we want to be? Well, if we're going to get past, you know, 10, 20 million in ARR, which in this market, I think getting to you can't really stop at that point. It's a competitive market, Um, you know, there's companies like Salesforce that are, you know, few stop out at a certain point and say like, oh, we'll just kind of chill here and be a lifestyle business. Like, it's just a matter of time until you get swallowed up or just beaten out of the market. So you really gotta be thinking big. And for us, we were looking at that and we said, well, what type of company do we need to be to grow um, to, you know, uh, 50, 100, 200, 300 million dollars? Um, we said, well, we need to, you know, we can't be selling to SMBs because they're price sensitive, they're high churn, they're, there's not a lot of scalability. Um, you don't have a lot of leverage. Uh, you know, it's the customer acquisition cost to, to LTV ratios, just not great. So we said, Hey, you know, we got to start moving up market. So, so we spent, um, the second half of 2016, just like working uh by ourselves and you know just our engineering team product team just hustling and rebuilding the entire product and uh you know it's it's like there's never any good time to rebuild a product like just completely from the ground up but we did it and we were just we just released it this past week so um and we're kind of rolling it out to our existing customers and then when we do our fundraising announcement we'll start you know making a little bit more splash about it but been a journey um and you know i think it's 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 those like it and and i'd say like not to go on too long on this ramble but as an entrepreneur like some decisions are really easy um and i would say that like if you really want to make it it's those hard decisions you know Uh, you know it's rebuilding your product when it's working you know firing your friends you know like stuff like that like those are the, the really big tests i think and Whether we're right or wrong, it wasn't easy to do, and and we just bit the bullet and did it.
1: So you just touched on an interesting topic. I'm a part of an organization called uh, EO, Entrepreneur's Organization, and it's all about talking about the the soft side of, of running a company, right, so things like firing, employee issues, conflicts, because. Um, those are the things that aren't talked about. We just hear the stories about this company scaled 100 million so quickly. We never talk about those yep. actual the, the the stuff that happens in between uh, the struggle and all the people issues. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. I wanna I wanna backtrack because you you've said like a bunch of things there that I wanna touch on. So first you said you said you know you got to 100 or so customers with the quasi inbound model uh, to SMB. So like so describe that. Like what was the process there? How did you find traction there? What what, what was that?
0: Yes. So, you know, for us, uh, so that kind of gets back to the timeline of the company. So um, the first eight months, nine months, it was basically my co-founder and I, you know, talking on the phone until our throats were sore. Mostly me. I, he, <laughs> he got to focus on programming a little more, um, which he likes, and just kind of iterating, trying to get the product going. At first, it was like, let's get somebody to try it. First, let's have something to try. Let's get somebody to try it. Let's get somebody to actually say they like it. Um, and then let's get somebody to actually pay for it. Um, and so we did that, um, you know, over those eight months, finally, towards the end of it, we started to get, you know, one, two, three seat little deals. Um, and we had a handful of customers who, you know, legitimately liked our product. Um, then we went through YC and we just kind of really kind of blew that up. You know, like that's what YC does is they take something that's just starting to work and they make it work at a much larger scale. How did YC Um, help you guys? A a lot of ways. I mean, like, I think, you know, number one, they have these partners who just have such great experience in so many areas around PR, around marketing, around sales, around growth. Like, they're, you know, just really brilliant people who who know these startup stages cold. Um, And also, they have a great brand. So, you know, as you become a part of the batch, you know, like, you know, getting into YC is, like, is press worthy. So you get press articles, you get things like that. Right. Um, right. There's other founders that you can lean on who have some great strategies and tactics. So um, so all those things combined, we really grew a lot during YC. Um, and uh, and then you come out of it and you go straight into fundraising mode. So then, you know, you, you basically grow, grow, grow. And then you almost, you know, fundraising at, at such an early stage, you're almost shutting the company down. Um, mm-hmm. And so for us, like we went straight into fundraising we went straight into hiring engineers and then, um, you know, shortly after we went straight into just completely rebuilding the product. So um, that's kind of like the brief history of the last year or so of the company. That's basically a lot of the PR and the
1: coaching that you got help with that brought a lot of inbound uh, inbound traffic your way and customers your way. That's
0: what you're yeah, saying. absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, there was, I remember there was days when we had over a hundred inbounds a day. Uh, during YC, and uh, you know it. I mean, even if you're terrible and you convert, you know, one percent, that's a customer a day. <laughs> that's pretty good, right? So, <laughs> How long ago was that? That was uh, in 2016. 2016. So it was almost just about a year ago. Yeah.
1: And, and are you able to share what what fundraising you closed after YC?
0: Um, you know, so all in, we kind of uh, we we did a, a proper seed fundraise, um, pretty good size, kind of larger size seed. Uh, directly on the tail of YC and then we were like well we might as well now that we're embarking on building this new product we might as well wait to announce it and then we ended up taking more money on top of that Uh, and so now it's like oh it's by the same announcement got it got it yeah it's just kind of that way because I you know you know press and PR is just like it falls down my list to do's and getting the new release out we saw as more more important um until that was done, you know, there's, there's no point in announcing it until we had all the new stuff, and, and now we're like, oh, we want to rebuild the website, so who knows, maybe someday we'll actually announce our fundraising, but, um, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so, so talk <laughs> about the,
1: the tough decisions, so you said, you know, this decision to refactor, and, and that's, a, that's a decision that many SaaS companies are faced with, and there's yeah. never really any right answer, right? Because you have technical debt, you have design debt, you have infrastructure debt, and then you might even want to overhaul the product to be something a little bit more than what you are, right? Kind of like what you're describing here. So um, what what led to that decision and, and also were investors fine with that? Because you know you could have spent that time out there selling the product that you already yeah.
0: had. Yeah. Um, so I'll answer that in reverse order. Um, so, yeah, the investors were very supportive of that. It's actually something that they, they want founders to do. I think good investors, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, I mean... Why, why is stage? Because I think, you know, what, what founders are... Or what founders want to do is they just want to go, go, go. But, you know, I think at the seed stage, you know, investors are just hoping that you can get to product market fit before the money runs out and if you can be thoughtful and and really, you know, uh, diligent um, about how you're going to do that, uh, you know, you're going to increase your likelihood as opposed to just burning through money. That's the worst thing. That's what investors don't want to see is a company that just like, oh, we got money. Like, let's uh, hiring blitz, you know, like, let's go put on our LinkedIn that we're hiring. Mm-hmm. It'll look awesome, you know? Um, uh, you know, so like investors want you to be diligent. They want you to, you know, shut down or, I mean, depending on the investor, like they might even say like, Hey, why don't you guys spend just like two months and just do like deep planning for how you're going to spend this like seed stage of your company. Um, And that's not, you know, that's not atypical. I'd say that's more typical than not, that investors will will want you to do that and and be thoughtful and methodical. uh, and you know I'd say like hard decisions there's a lot of them uh, all the time like what what do you spend money on who do you hire you know do you should you entertain the idea of like you know offshore engineers or remote engineers like how important is it to be in the same space like when should you hire a customer success rep like uh, you know you have 50 customers who are asking you for some feature and you have you know this new deal that wants you know this these yeah, these deals coming in where like you know that feature that they want you to build is not at all going to help with your growth in getting into new accounts. And so that's know. also
1: a trade-off though there, right? Because you might have deals in the pipeline that require certain work from your product side, but then yeah. you're also putting time into refactoring. But you're saying that getting the product market fit, that's where the, the, the bigger value is because long-term, if you have product market fit, then you can uh, scale
0: faster or later. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, you know, I think in most cases, like in most jobs, like, you know, you have to be so brutally priority driven in a startup. Um, I remember during YC, we had somebody who was contracting for us and, um, and this person, we'd ask them to just help out with the sales process. Cause we had such a volume of people coming in and like, you know, the questions and, you know, so, uh, So we had like, you know, just, you know, we had one of those weeks where people were just pouring in and and I asked this person, like, you know, what did you do today? And they said, "Uh, I answered emails and I didn't even get through all of them. And it's like, well, whose emails did you answer? And it's like, they're like, yeah, well, all these people who found our website, like have been emailing us and I've been answering. So it's like, wait, you didn't do one single sales call. You didn't do one demo. You did not bring anybody in. And and yeah, and, and the person said, "Yeah, like I need to answer all these emails." It's like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, just because people are emailing you doesn't mean like the highest priority thing to do is to answer them. But you know, it, that's such an abnormal way to think. Like, normally when people email you, you answer their emails. You know, um, so it's just kind of like I think the, the hardest things are the prioritization, and some of these priorities just are 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 not intuitive.
1: Of course, and it's kind of you know the, the difference between doing things in the important, not urgent column and uh, important and urgent uh, column right yeah. and, and some or just urgent not important urgent, not important right. is like the most dangerous place to be. Um, so, so tell me this when you're refactoring, uh, and if the goal is product market fit, how much work went into talking with customers even more so to improve this product and, and what did that work look like?
0: Yeah. Well, that's still where I live. Um, I, um, so our, I, you know, I don't do sales calls, but I listen to them, uh, all the time. And, uh, I'm always looking at the product. I'm always playing with the product. I'm always just you know taking days in the weekend to redesign things. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty obsessive about the product and, about you know, understanding the feedback and, uh, uh, you know, so, It was a big part of it. I think, you know, it's it's there's kind of this, you know, products are this interesting thing where like there's this integrated like thinking process that you can't really rationalize. You can't really describe it, but you just need to like sit and like think about the experience and watch people and just kind of marinate in that experience over a long period of time. And, And you begin to start to have the insights that that can help you understand like your product, you know, the operator, its place in the stack, you know, kind of what you can Build around it. What's good about it? What's bad about it? What's the psychology of somebody using it? Um, and so, I, I would say, like that's probably my main duty at the company. Um, you know, I, I have to do everything as CEO. You know, I'm, you know, toilet washer, you know, count <laughs> everything. Like, but, but the biggest and most important thing is, is, you know, kind of owning the product vision. Um, and a lot of it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you could you could ignore it entirely i mean it doesn't show up on the on the income statement or the balance sheet but it's so important to what we do to really you know be obsessive about the product Mm
1: -hmm. and and can you give an example of a time you know you had to prioritize one good thing over another good thing when you're trying to go towards this refactoring and release releasing this new version of the product like what were some trade-offs you had to make
0: so the hardest thing is, you know, every time you change something in the product, your existing customers, when you really change it significantly, people get upset. Um, it's irrational. Well, no, it's totally rational. It's like, you know, who who took away, like, that button? Like, you know? <laughs> All right. and, and that button might not be the right button for them, you know? And, and you kind of have this vision of, like, a better process and a better flow. But, you know, it's, it's like… But that's where the button if, used to be. Yeah, like you, yeah. you screwed up with the products. Like everything was good. I was happy. The product was working. Then you went and screwed it all up, Nova. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's you got to kind of guide people through it. And, and I'd say like it was hard when we were refactoring because like you're not gaining customers. Like you're pissing customers off. Like <laughs> you're, the, the short-term analysis is you're like substantially like making the business worse and lowering your NPS score. All right, um, right. So just kind of, you know, convincing customers that, yeah, it's you don't quite understand why we're doing what we're doing, but trust me, like, in the long run, this is going to be, like, what you want. Um, and so just managing that trade-off.
1: And how do you <coughs> measure whether the refactoring is successful or a good thing for customers over what you previously had? I mean, you mentioned NPS there. If NPS is going down, are you hope like, is there a projection that hey it'll go up in six months, or is there other metrics like let's say uh, usage metrics that you're looking at? Or
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it kind of gets to like you know customer success a little bit, and um, you know, it's a pyramid, right? You climb that pyramid, and at the base level of the pyramid is you know human, you know, just kind of bending over backwards, talking to people, hustling go one level up from there and there's like, you know, some basic usage metrics, like how many people are engaged, how many activities are they doing? Um, you know, you can get even more advanced on that and incorporate things like NPS. And so it, you know, it's, it's a pyramid, you climb that pyramid and, you know, at each level you get better and better. And, you know, at the top there's like some North star metrics, like really, you know, running the business by the numbers. And ideally, once you have that all instrumented and set up, it's, um, you know, you really only need to dig down to those lower layers when something's wrong. But we're, we're still, you know, working our way up that pyramid. So a lot of it at this stage, it's very, you know, kind of sitting and watching, you know. And, and that's the level at which we're learning, too, because it's very much like feature-level learning at this point.
1: Right. Um, and coming back to something else you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, sometimes you have to even fire your friends. So talk about, you know, the people side of this journey where – That's how you've had to evolve as a CEO and uh, had to deal with inviting more people into your company, parting ways with people. Like, what's that been like as you've been going through this journey of getting customers, product market fit? I mean, it's it's challenging to manage all that, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say like there's you know there's things about startups that are very unintuitive, Um, like. uh, you know, I think I think one of the interesting things about startups is, like, people talk about, like, luck in startups. Um, and, you know, in, in, and there's a lot of people who have, like, these theories and blogs, and they say, you know, you should do this. You should, you know, hire low-cost engineers. The the founder should sell until you be the only salesperson until two millionaire are, you know, like, right. there's all these platitudes. And, Generalizations, yeah, they're all over the place, and and the reason is because like it's hard for people to just accept the level of uncertainty uh, of a startup. Like, you know, investors are like, you know, that's a bad idea, that's a good idea. But what they're really saying is like, I think it's probably a bad idea. I think it might be <laughs> right. a bad idea based on what I've seen. There's no but way to like, know. <laughs> yeah, there's no answer. Like, you're, yeah. you're answering questions where the truth does not exist in reality. It's effectively undefined, you know? Um, and and there's a lot of stuff you gotta learn and there's no textbook that can teach it to you because it's all very like idiosyncratic to the specific market, the product, the dynamics, the interplay of A million different complex things that are happening at the same time so so you learn um, and you're you're learning a lot and that learning is is very linear but the returns are very lumpy and the returns are unclear and the progress is unclear and noisy at all times so um, so as an employee you know you're in this like and the the important thing is happening like you're learning a lot and you have to work butt off, and it's like it's very mentally exhausting to learn that much so quickly. It's not normal for people, um, but you don't see the progress often. Like, in the progress you do see can be like misleading progress. Um, so it's it's like a really like I think our bodies are not really built for that kind of scenario. Like we we can't really like physiologically comprehend you know what a startup's like. Yeah,
1: it's like putting it, it in a time chamber or whatever, you know, you're, you're compressing
0: the black swan. The author of black swan puts it really well. Like we're built to push a button every day and get a pellet. We're not built to like push a button for like 500 days and then, get like a 1 million times larger pellet. Like we can't like our bodies don't think like that, you know? So, so in that, and from that a lot of weird things arise, you know, like that if looked at in isolation seem illogical. Mm-hmm. and and so so what happens uh, at the team level,
1: or when you're dealing with all these this all this learning and like at a, at a, such a high rate, and and you're developing the product and going through all these changes, you know, what's it been like dealing with employees and the changes to the team, and what are some challenges that you faced?
0: Yeah, um, so I think the biggest thing is uh, the realization that that management is work. And uh, at a certain level, it becomes the highest value work um, is weird because you're used to being a founder who does everything. And um, and then you very quickly, like almost overnight, get to the point where everything for you is teaching <laughs> and, uh, and managing and process building. And so um, that's kind of an interesting mind shift. Uh, going from being, you know, almost overnight, from being an individual contributor to, you know, that being a very small part of your job. Um, I, you know, I'd say, like, it's, it's about, you know, another thing is just, it sounds crazy, like, it sounds like such a cliche, but just getting people you can depend on and who, you know, support the team dynamic is just so important, like, and it, it it's very not visible when you don't have it, but, once it once you get back to where you have it, you realize that it's just so costly.
1: <laughs> it's what was missing the whole time, right?
0: Yeah, it's just you know you you kind of see how over time you add different people into the mix and um, how they impact the overall dynamic and uh, like you know it's like in a startup it's it's kind of messed up like you know the the requirement like somebody really the standard is like so high for the company to work well that um it's like you know it, you, it, nobody feels good about it when like an employee doesn't work out because it most in 99.9 percent of companies like they probably would have been a good enough fit or they would have been doing well enough or they would have been trying hard enough but just in a startup it's like you there's such a high bar like that good's not good enough like it needs to be great and it's hard to like let somebody go because they're just good and not great it seems it feels like really a messed up thing to do Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well it's because you're relying on each person's output to be significantly greater than one person right because there's such few people to contribute
0: yeah yeah and like you know and 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 those good people like you know they're like in a lot of cases like they're like the pride of their family (laughs) right the kid from the neighborhood who made it who's, you know, really talented. And, you know, often they are. And, you know, it's just, it's hard.
1: (laughs) Right. Have you made any mistakes when it comes to hiring or or keeping somebody too long or anything like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd say like, yes, but at the same time, it's all part of the learning process. So I think, um, you know, the the mistake is when you know something's not right and you do it. Uh, I would say we haven't done that. And, but certainly, you know, there's things we've reflected on, and after gathering more information and learning more, we say, okay, now, you know, retrospectively, like that was probably not the correct thing to do. But at the time, we made the decision we made with the information we had available, and it felt like a good decision at the time. So,
1: right, that's great. Um, I think I think this is good. Place to stop. It's a good place to stop. So, uh, any final thoughts you want to add? Because I think the topic here is really, you know, the the journey you guys have gone on to iterate and build this product, and the changes you've gone through as a company too in that process. Um, so, any I don't know any final thoughts you want to add on that topic?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say like, uh, you know, we don't the the story of Nova still being written. Um, it's you know, it's exciting. Like things seem to be going very well, which is great. Um, I would say like, you know, startups are just, they're really interesting, they're really rewarding. It's been like the most fascinating, um, you know, experience in my life and, you know, you don't control the outcome, you control what you put in every day. So anybody out there who's, you know, either in a startup thinking about joining one um, or was it one, like all you can really do is like, I, I would say like just keep hustling, keep working hard, um, you know. It, and, you know, you never know what's going to come out the other side. But if you do all the things right, it's probably going to be something awesome, is my view. <laughs> That's so. great.
1: No, I appreciate that. And, and last but not least, I want to show you some appreciation, man, for doing this and sharing your story. I think a lot of startups that are just getting going could learn a lot from it. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing that.
0: Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having
1: me. Thanks, Will. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes and to check us out at www.howtosass.com, and we will see you next time.